You're listening to the midweek edition of the 1208 Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the midweek edition. We are jumping back into the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, if you want to hear kind of what we talked about last week, it wasn't a lot of uh, talk about Cain and Abel per se, but a particular feature within the Cain and Abel story. Today we're going to pick up where we left off. And again, we're not going to have like a lot of focus on Cain and Abel, even though we're in the Cain and Abel story. Instead, we're going to focus in on kind of like a human origins conversation Because what we're going to find is a few scriptures that have probably made you ask some questions throughout your life. And it might be one of those questions like you had it in Sunday school, but you were afraid to ask it because you think you already know what the teacher is going to say. And maybe you did ask it and lo and behold, the teacher said exactly what you expected them to say. But uh, still, maybe since that day you've questioned So um, there's some kind of like human origins conversations that go on here, and lots of people have questions, and I think it fits into some of what we've already talked about in Genesis. So yeah, we're going to jump into that conversation. But before we get there, let's kind of move ahead in the story of Cain and Abel, kind of a short devotional before we get into the nitty-gritty here. So we'll pick up in uh, Genesis 4-8, right around where we left off. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain... Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Okay, so let's take a look at just a a few statements throughout this here as just kind of a mini devotional before we get into the meat of the subject. Um, A few things that I want to just kind of bring up is, is it's interesting how prevalent God's grace is in this scenario. I mean, Cain's messed up pretty bad, right? We we didn't know sin at all in the garden, and then we committed the only thing that could be a sin, which was to eat from, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. At least, you know, that seemed to give us the knowledge of good and evil. So now suddenly we know when we're sinning, and that's kind of what sin is. It's an intentional decision to do something wrong. Uh, A mistake can be sin, but even the Bible classifies a mistake as like a different kind of sin. So now we've eaten from the tree. Now we know kind of the difference between good and evil. And now here we have uh, Cain kind of going the distance to a very extreme sin, killing a family member. It's, 
it's pretty up there on the list of things that could go wrong at this time. So with that being said, um, it's interesting how prevalent God's grace is in that situation because, you know, a lot of us, we're not God, but we're like, if I was, I'd just be like, Cain, you done messed up and, and I don't trust you anymore. I just made this humanity thing and now you've already really kind of gone crazy on it. So as vengeance and as punishment for what you've done, you're gone, you know, and we might just envision ourselves if we made the decision of getting rid of Cain. But that's not what God does. Instead, uh, God actually, sure, he does get consequences. Cain gets consequences as a part of his sin and as a part of God's judgment on him. Uh, and it's actually, it's a fairly severe consequence because think back when Adam and Eve sinned. If you remember, now the world's going to be harder to farm and take care of and subdue because of what Adam and Eve did. That's part of the curse that came on the world because of Adam and Eve's sin. And since Cain is a farmer of crops, well, uh, that was already going to be harder for him because of Adam and Eve. Now God has kind of like doubled that. Suddenly for Cain specifically, the world's going to be harder to take care of even more. So Cain's job is now becoming very difficult, if not impossible. You know, there is punishment for what he's done. There is a consequence to his sin. But then at the same time, rather than just wipe Cain out like many of us might think that we would do, uh, you see God say, all right, now I'm going to protect you. I'm putting a mark on you. And we don't know what that mark is. Uh, people have been proposing what the mark is for so long. Uh, we don't even need to get into that conversation because because we just don't know what the mark is. Um, but there are just a, a few things to take into account. It could be some kind of external marking that would cause others to kind of treat him with respect or caution, or it could be uh, uh, it could even be a sign to him. Uh, that no one will harm him and that people will not attack him. So those are kind of the two different, uh, two of the bigger ways that we could read it. it. Maybe it's like a physical marking on him where people would pay attention. Or maybe God is um, God is uh, uh, giving him a sign, just like he gave Noah, you know, the rainbow. And he's like, anytime you see this, just remember, I won't flood the earth again. Because of the way that we could interpret it, it could be that God gave him a sign for Cain to, to figure that out. And uh, those theories just come from the IVP Bible background commentary. So uh, that right there is some possibilities as to the mark, but there's really no reason to get super detailed in it because in the end, we, we just don't know. Um, but either way, that's the grace of God. Rather than destroy him and create a world full of vengeance... God's actually like, no, 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 no. you're going to live, you're going to be protected. Yes, there's consequences, but my grace is still here for you. And not only are you going to live on, but like if anyone takes vengeance up against you, I'm going to give that vengeance back to them uh, sevenfold. And uh, right here is, again, just God showing his grace. And we see Jesus show his grace in this story too. I know that sounds crazy, but Hebrews is actually going to refer back to this story. If you were to go to Hebrews 12, 24, what you're going to find is uh, it says Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
So right here you have uh, Abel's blood crying from the ground, and even Abel is crying out for like vengeance. It seems like he he wants God to to uh, maybe take take a, a vengeance on his brother for what he's done to him. And uh, down the road we see the comparison between Abel and Jesus. Jesus's blood cries out from the ground, asking for redemption for humanity. And, and sparing them and saving them rather than calling out for vengeance. So we're going to see the story of Cain and Abel kind of pop back up in Hebrews down the road. All right, so there's your kind of mini analysis of the story of Cain and Abel in another dimension. Now I want to talk about humanity because we're going to get into something very strange here without many details that leave us asking questions. Again, the kind of questions you might have asked in Sunday school or might have been afraid to ask in Sunday school or just thought like, you knew what the answer that was going to be that everyone was going to give you. So uh, back in 16, we saw Cain went away in the, from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. Uh, we don't know where the land of Nod is, but the word Nod means wandering. And since he's kind of a wanderer now, it's possible that this is kind of like a symbolic place. Uh, but he goes to this land and here's where things get weird. Suddenly we see this happen. Verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city. He called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael feathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lamach. Did I say feathered? Well, fathered, you know what I meant. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of all who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. And then quickly, let's just fast forward to verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Okay, so right here we've got very strange things happening. The first question, I think, is, hold up, when did Cain get a wife? And is this his sister? I mean, if Adam and Eve are the only human beings, wouldn't this have to be his sister? But then we got to stop because then suddenly we're like, wait, are they the only human beings? Because the next statement is that Cain goes and builds a city. And if we are to take kind of literally everyone who's around at the time that he builds a city then it seems like Adam, Eve, Cain, his wife, and Enoch are the only human beings mentioned so far, and suddenly they have all just built a city. So what is going on here? And then even at the end, after, uh, after, Seth, um, after Seth has a son named Enosh, we then see that at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Who are the people? Were Adam and Eve not calling on the name of the Lord already? And so 
suddenly we just are flooded with this image of like the possibility of other human beings existing. And we don't for sure have to go this route, right? We could just say, okay, maybe Adam and Eve, you know, if they are the only two people at the time, they knew eventually what was coming is that their children were going to have to uh, breed with one another to create more human beings. And so time goes on from there. And as they all have children, suddenly they begin to build cities because they have lots of children. We might even add in the fact that if we were to take it literally, because in, in uh, Genesis 5, it's going to start telling us how long all these people live. And Methuselah, like, champions it. He lives, you know, over 900 years uh, and uh, kind of gets, like, the longest life. So some people would take uh, those years to be uh, metaphorical about like an entire family line, but some might also say like, no, people lived longer before the flood. Um, and because part of the curse on them was when the flood came, God told them you're not going to live that long anymore. Regardless of what you do with that, you know, you're kind of left with two scenarios. You either read into the idea that, uh, um, it's all just Adam and Eve having children and their children having children with one another, and uh, then as they have enough children, they build cities and things like that. Or you are left with the other possibility that you don't talk about too much in church that seems very plausible from what the Bible says, which gives us the space to believe the possibility that there may be other human beings on the planet already. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but remember back to our conversation on evolution. You know, again, I don't uh, fully care what direction people want to go on this. Um, I, the reason I think evolution is a a good uh, thing to back is because it's got lots of facts behind it, right? We can trace genetics and all this and say, hey, look, we can see how things are growing into other things. Uh, and the world is less willing, I think, to listen to Christians when we are at least unwilling to say that they have rational points. So for me, I don't have a problem with evolution, uh, but we did a whole episode or two on that. You can go back and listen to that uh, if that's helpful to you. Uh, but because I personally don't have a problem with evolution, it then makes sense to me what the Bible's saying here. And it gives me the space, too, when someone outside of Christianity wants to fight with me, and they're like, well, you think that Adam and Eve are like the parents of all creation and so on and so forth. I'm able to say, actually, that's not the picture the Bible paints completely. It does seem to paint that image for a moment, but then at the same time, it kind of paints another picture where suddenly there are other people already on the planet. And since we would expect that from an evolutionistic perspective, I'm then able to kind of work more rationally with anyone who who wants to come at me and be like, I can't trust your origin story. I can be like, the Bible actually paints an origin story closer to to what you might think yourself. So all that being said, um, we we can see the Bible telling us both stories. You could fight for either debate. Personally, for me, I think it just uh, uh, makes sense here to kind of envision, if you were to take a more scientific approach, to envision God has made creation 
by the means of uh, evolution. And then Adam and Eve became very special, important, historical uh, people that he brings into Eden, into his presence, into his holy temple, begins to show them who he is, how he's created them, and then uh, begins to give them their mission to kind of reign over the earth as human beings. They are the the peak of creation, the kings and queens of this planet, and now they are to go subdue the rest of the world and uh, uh, make it like Eden, right? We've talked about that a lot in the podcast. Uh, that then would even make sense of this weird statement um, after Adam and Eve have Seth, Seth has Enosh, and then it says at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So that almost even seems like early, early Genesis evangelism <laughs> is suddenly suddenly people are calling on the name of Yahweh uh, and it wouldn't fully make sense to say like suddenly now Adam and Eve and 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 Seth and Enosh were now finally calling on the name of the Lord because they were in God's presence. They want to be in God's presence. Uh, they had to leave God's presence where they wish they could go back, you know? Why are they just starting now to call on the name of the Lord? What if it's almost like now people are learning who Yahweh is, they're learning who the Lord is, and they're starting to finally uh, call on his name. That kind of makes a bit more sense of the evidence that we've looked at, that uh, that Cain had a wife just pop out of nowhere, and that uh, um, that we also see that he built a city, you know? How can he build a city with four people? That just doesn't seem like a very... <laughs> big city that's like what four houses you don't even need like a market or anything very city like if all you have is your family there you just need a few houses with farms and you could trade so all that being said um i'm not telling you today that this is the way that you have to take uh these passages because again you could read both ways if you want uh but i think there's a good case to say that the bible does not require that you uh, have to see Adam and Eve as the the only two human beings at the time of Genesis. I think Genesis itself paints a picture that at least requires you to consider uh, another possibility. Uh, and one of the books that you could look into more, it's going to get into tons of subjects on Adam and Eve and creation and all that. So uh, it's not just going to be on what we talked about, though it's going to get on that too. Uh, it's from John H. Walton. Uh, it's called The Lost World of Adam and Eve, subtitled Genesis 2 through 3 and the Human Origins Debate. So that'll kind of get more into the subject if you want to learn more. Really, John Walton is one of the like kind of leading scholars uh, for for Old Testament studies. And a lot of what he has to say in this book is going to be related to what we've been talking about in the podcast in fact, his whole series, uh, he's got a Lost World series. All these books are, are good reading for kind of things that we've been talking about. So if some of the things we've said have been interesting to you and you want to learn more about it, this would be a good uh, book or series for you to check out for yourself. Uh, and he's going to go a bit deeper than I did. For now, I'm not, you know, you might come to me with like, Jeremy, here's a bunch of rebuttals to what you're saying about the possibility of other people at the time. Uh, John kind of covers some of that 
in uh, this book, some of the rebuttals people might give. Uh, so you can kind of check it out. If you really want to go deeper and kind of have those conversations, you can you can go into that that book for yourself. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just want to I want to have that conversation today. One, because again, if we want to be evangelistic today, then we need to be willing to uh, be able to have rational conversations with people about the things that they believe and perhaps point them to the possibilities of the in the Bible where it illuminates even what uh, they think has to be rational. That's helpful to reach out. Even if you don't believe it yourself, you know, you can still say, uh, I don't know that I would go there, but look at these verses, and I think you might see the Bible gives space for you to to kind of put those things together. But the other reason we get into it is because, I don't know, I just think this conversation is kind of a classic uh, conversation of things we're afraid to ask in church because we think that the person's just going to give the answer, well, sure, it's it's weird, but, you know, Adam and Eve are the only per- people, don't question it. And because we think we're already going to get that answer, or perhaps because we have been given that answer in the past, it's just one of those questions where like, well, I guess it just is what it is, and I don't get good reasons as to why it seems like there's other people at the time. So, with that being said, that's another conversation. Were there more people than Adam and Eve uh, around the time of Adam and Eve? The Bible gives you the space to take it the direction you want to go. So, uh, with that... We will catch back up with Genesis next week. And uh, last apology before you go, I'm using a newer, nicer mic, and I've noticed as I've been talking that my stomach's rumbling, and I think you've heard it 8 million times. So sorry about that, and I'll just go eat some food, and everything will be better. Problem solved!